Amen. You know, we're not done worshiping yet, so um, I know you, you know it's the stand-up, sit-down. You're welcome to sit if you want to continue to worship, but we want to do something very special. Today is Mother's Day, and we want to honor all the women that are here. And so as we, we sing this song of worship, that the, the unfailing love of God, um, one of the things that we're aware of with um, the character and nature of God is it gets passed on to us as we're created in His image. And I would say that moms model the unfailing love of God like nobody else on the planet. And so moms, we want to honor you. Women, we want to honor you. And and the children are going to come. They have a a special gift. So you focus on Jesus and you just receive the love of God that so freely spills out of you and then receive the honor that we want to give to you through the children today. Is that all right? All right, let's do it. So we're going to sing this song and uh, please feel free to worship children. Come and, and honor all the women that are here.
you, God, for your unfailing love. Lord, thank you for the examples that we see in women, especially in moms as their love is so abundant and sacrificial. God, we thank you for the models that they are for each one of us. We bless them today, God. We bless your name. You're amazing. And we pray, God, that as we open up your word, it would serve to us as a lamp and a light, God, that we would be able to see a little more clearly. We ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to to bring your word alive for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that we know from the word of God that you are a helper. You point us to everything that Jesus taught. Would you come and help us this morning? Open the eyes of our heart. Open our understanding. Lord, that we would walk out of here encouraged, strengthened, equipped. And that we would know you more. Lord, even if in that process it requires us to come to grips with some things in our lives and bring them before you and repent and ask your forgiveness. Lord, let your word have its full way with us today. Um, And Lord, I submit myself to you and ask you, God, to, to use my words and spare us all from the ones that aren't from you. And lead us, I pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, thank you, kids. You guys are awesome today. Oh, man. Good morning, everybody. That was awesome to stand up here and and watch all the children um, passing out the flowers and, and, um, and watching their faces, you know. And I would say that if anybody um, didn't receive a flower among you young women, that um, that is a high compliment because I could tell their little mental process was like, is she old enough? Is she not old enough? <laughs> and and so, um, so if you, if you were, were spared a, a flower, it's, it's nothing personal. Take it as a compliment. You're very young and they didn't know what to do. Oh, man. I got to tell you, uh, I'm, I'm excited to share God's word with you this morning, um, and we're going to take a little bit of a break from our Way Forward series in Exodus, although I'm going to reference Exodus a few times. Um, I want to talk about um, motherhood. I want to talk about women. I want to talk about what it means to honor them. And I, I find it a great privilege that we have these times in our calendar. Uh, Mother's Day is not like a biblical holiday in that we look and we see in, you know, First Polonians 5, Mother's Day or something like that. It's not in the Bible. But yet the concept of Mother's Day or the concept of honoring is really there. Would you agree with me? And so it's a great opportunity for us to not only just think about moms, but to think about um, what the Bible has to say about women. And, um, and as you, you look into it a little bit, um, someone's phone's ringing, you probably answer it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. But I will say... Wow, it's really ringing. I was just kidding about answering it. There's that silent mode. You know, you could just click. I can only say that because I've been the person in so many occasions where the phone does that. And so I just, um, I'm with you. You know, I I would never want to embarrass anyone. But I would say my top ten worst experience was I was at a, a memorial service and the phone went off. And I was like, push the, it was a new phone. This was several years ago. And I pushed where the old phone would shut the ringer off. And it says, say a command. And I pushed it again. And now it's ringing. And I push it again, like as if you wouldn't know to push the same button. It goes, say a command, right? So uh, anyways, I'm with you. Back to Mother's Day. Um, I will say that as I began this this, um, 
process of preparing. I start on Monday to, to, to study and sit in God's presence and spend time in, in prayer and ask the Lord, what do you have? And, and I, I started this time and I thought about all the women in the Bible and stories of women in the Bible and past sermons that I've either preached or heard. I even listened to a great sermon from somebody that I really um, admire and I, I scanned the Bible and prayed. You know, and you come to this day with some tremendous weight on your hands because there's the last thing that anybody wants to do, especially a guy, is to say something patronizing towards women, right? And, and, and to say something that would come off with any kind of tone other than the honor that is intended. And so I want to come to you from, from that place of saying that um, I believe God has something very special for each one of you today. Um, guys, this is for you as well. And this isn't just for moms. This is for all the women that are here. And I'm grateful for an opportunity to share some things that I believe are clearly written in scripture that would really, I think, help us as the body of Christ and as believers in general to understand just how esteemed women are in the Bible and just how important they are to the plan and the mission of God, specifically women. All right, so are you still with me? Yes. And, and my hope is that by the end of this time that each and every woman in here would feel honored by the Lord and honored by the men that are here and that together we would, we would understand um, God's intent and God's purposes in, in um, creating each one of us unique and in the design that he did create for us. And so um, this, for me, this journey through God's word begins in, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. So if you want to turn there, you might recall um, in our study of the book of Exodus that we came to the place of the, the Ten Commandments, right? And in the Ten Commandments, these were, these were commands that were given to the, the people to, um, to live out their lives and, and to shape a culture of honor, right? And so the very first of the commands deal with how we relate with God. It begins by telling us not to have other idols and to keep God first and, and so forth. And then it gets into the, the next portion is how we're to deal with one another. And the very first command in how we're dealing socially or dealing with one another tells us that we, we are to honor our what? Father and mother. And this is what it says in here. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. And so I found it really interesting that um, not only is that command given in, in the book of Exodus, but then again it's reiterated by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 and how we're to deal with the family structure. And, and that quote is given to us again. And so we know that this is important to God. Honoring is important to God. And we could talk about honoring our fathers, but it's Mother's Day, so we get to talk about honoring our mothers. And, and, and specific to that, um, we have to go and try to understand what does this word honor mean? There are many different things that we can attach. How many of you have been in a situation where you say one thing, but the other person's definition is different than the definition that you have? So that word means something different to them. Honor for one might mean something than the other. And so what is the Bible's understanding of honor? Um, it comes from a, a Hebrew word. And and the, the, um, the Hebrew word is similar to the word that we use in describing like how God, where God's glory is. But the, the, the word is about weight, right? And it's giving weight to something. And I thought about, man, how's that going to come off? Like, does that sound honoring? Like, hey, moms, we want to give you weight today. Um, that is not the, the physical weight. But, but the idea of, of weight, meaning that, that what you say, what you do, your input, who you are, has substance and weight. Does that make sense? 
And so, so when the Bible tells us to, to honor in that way, that's what it's referring to. Um, and, and just to paint a full picture of who we're meant to honor. Uh, and, and as we read scripture, it really, um, it, it takes away all of our excuses. You see, like all, everybody is made in the image of God. And so there's something in each and every person that's a reflection of God's character. And so in that respect, we're meant to honor everyone. And, and it lays it out. Um, let's look at 1 Peter in chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 16. It says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as God's servants. And then it makes this statement. It's a, a two-word sentence, right? And I struggle with this, and maybe you do sometimes. But this two-word sentence says, Honor everyone. Does anyone else have a, have a, a problem with that ever? <laughs> Honor everyone. Does that mean like we, I've got to honor people who are being dishonorable? Well, 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 let's get into what honoring is in just a moment. But, but honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and then it says honor the emperor. This is super easy for you guys, right? Just honor, honoring the emperor, right? That this, we're living in a time where that's just easy for everybody. Man, I was, I'm not going to go political with you or anything, but I was watching like a ticker tape of the news, and it wasn't news at all. It was a, a, a channel that says, it is very clear that in America nobody honors, or it was literally using these words, that nobody has faith in, this, in the institutions and da-da-da-da-da. And it went on to say like how everything is falling apart. That is the news. I, I don't know how that's news, but that was, what, that was like a, a decisive statement. Nobody trusts anything anymore. And it was in reference to the Supreme Court and the leaked decisions about Ro, Roe v. Wade. So it was like, nobody cares anyways. Nobody trusts this anyways. And so we're just going to go on and not honor anything. And so, so we're just living in this time of tension in this culture of just trying to understand how we do what the Bible calls us to do. And so I thought it was important to bring some definition to honor. Again, looking at the word kabod, which is the, the word which means weighty. It's used figuratively. It doesn't mean to put physical weight, but that I give weight to someone's opinion. I give weight to their advice. I give weight to their input. But as I thought of, of a definition of honor, um, this, is, this is what I came up with. It isn't complete and exclusive. This is just some thoughts that I have. But to honor is to acknowledge the God-given role of authority and to show rightful respect with words and with action, right? And so let's take that again. To honor is to acknowledge, that's what we do first, the God-given role of authority and show um, rightful respect with words and action. Yes, there are times where, um, where we have to not show the kind of honor that we would think of in terms of, I'm just going to blindly trust everything that is being said. There are times when something said to us is in conflict with the Word of God. There are some times where there's a moral um, opposition to something that is said. I'm not standing here advocating on a government role, family role, or anything else that we should just all blindly go, oh, I trust you and I honor you because that's what the Bible says to do. We know from Scripture that there are times to stand up for righteousness. Do you agree with me on that? That being said, when it gets into the, the, the role of acknowledging um, family and the roles that God's given us in um, the understanding of men and women, um, I think that we have some room to really grow, some room to really understand, and some room to really allow the Holy Spirit to shape what we see in the role of mom, in the role of dad, in the role of man, in the role of woman. And, um, and so if we were to understand honor, we might need to take a look at dishonor, right? To dishonor is to ignore and criticize the God-given role of authority and to show disrespect with words and action. To give no weight to the opinion or the advice to, to, to disregard. 
And, and how many of you can see that within our culture today, that where God has called his people and has, God has called us to be a part of a culture of honor, where we're being taught in our culture to be a culture of dishonor. And you see it played out on, on many different levels. Um, I'll, I'll just go on a soapbox just for a moment if you'll, you'll let me. I'm going to just step up to the soapbox right now and admit to you that I watch television, you know. I don't know if that's repentance or, or just, or what, but because, it, because when I say it, like, there's really nothing good to watch outside of guys building cool stuff in Alaska. I mean, that, that to me is worthwhile, or like someone catching a fish or, or something like that. But there are these other shows and these storylines that you're like hooked into, and it's supposed to be a show about the police or a hospital or firefighters or something like that. And all of a sudden, we're like, what is this show about? Because it certainly isn't about fighting fires, or it certainly isn't about police, or it certainly isn't about saving lives in a hospital. It is like spoon feed teaching you this is how you really should be. Are you experiencing this yourself? And so now it's kind of like um, I'm probably the most annoying person in the family to watch TV with because I'm like, can you believe this? You see what they're doing? They're trying to change your ethical view on something. Like it's so it's like actively engaging in this thing, um, right, Kate? You, we, we love this. So, which I think they agree. Everybody agrees. Like we all to the point where there's many times where we're like, this is just stupid. Let's just shut this off, right? And you just feel like now that I've shut this program off, that was supposed to be something really fun to watch as a family. It's like you need to go take a shower, right? You're just like, Ugh. <laughs> so, so, so my my rant and my soapbox is that I see themes woven throughout. It doesn't matter what the show is about. It does not matter, honestly. It can be a sitcom to an adventure show about something. There are clear woven themes, and the one of the woven themes is disrespect towards men and women and family. And it's couched in the in the understanding of this is what the new respect looks like. And it bothers me. Like it really bothers me. Why does it bother me? Because it's it's self-destructive towards society. It's self-destructive towards the person who's who's bringing that worldview to you. In other words, it's like saying um, there's a whole new version of family. Uh, for for example, uh, now that I am on the soapbox, that that um, this is free by the way. There's really nothing in my notes about this. I want you know I'm way off script. Just so you know, but but. The one that bothers me the most is like, I'm, I'm saying look at some of these shows that we've watched, and there is no example of an intact young family, a male and a female who fall in love, get married, get pregnant, have a child, and raise their child. I have seen zero example of that. What I have seen the example is this whole new thing of the new definition of family. Like, this woman and this woman can ask this guy to donate what's needed for them to have a baby in order to have a fulfillment of this inward desire to have a child, right? And, and then it's like, well, let's find the right guy because we don't want that guy's donation. We want that guy's donation. And then these guys are fighting over who can donate to make the child. <laughs> it's not just in one show. I'm like, oh, this theme's in this show too? And I'm thinking, like, there is no honor in this. It's not honorable towards the one who is so, somehow, it's supposed to be this sign of honor. Like, here, I'll help you out and give you what you need to make a baby. And that's supposed to be honorable. That's not honorable. It's not honorable towards God. It's not honorable towards one another. It's certainly not honoring towards a child, right? So, okay, off the soapbox now. Now let's get back into 
these things are important to talk about because I, I do believe that if we don't address some of these things that we're seeing, that we're being spoon-fed, if, we, if somebody doesn't go, hey, the emperor has no clothes on, right, like, if, it, 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 like this is crazy, um, if somebody doesn't say it, we all kind of go, did you see that? Did you see that? Or we don't ask the question at all. We just sort of go, hmm, that's weird. There's the analogy that I think you've, you've heard um, many times that if you want to boil a frog, you don't put them in boiling water, right? It'll just ribbit its way right out. But if you put it in like nice jacuzzi warm water and then you just keep turning up the temperature, that frog will eventually boil and not know to get out of the water. And, and when we look at the subject of how we honor one another, how we honor male and female, uh, we have to acknowledge the fact that if we're not careful, we are the frogs in the boiling pot learning a new normal, normalizing new relationships, new ways to treat one another, new ways to have children, new ways to not have children, new ways to take care of it if you do have children. These are not normal things according to the word of God. And this isn't bigotry. This isn't arrogance. This isn't uh, me standing and saying, this is how you do things. This is us as the people of God saying, we um, believe in Jesus. We have, uh, we have acknowledged that he is the Lord and Savior of our lives. And we have chosen to, to stand by a code that is written clearly in God's word. Whether we understand it or don't or like it or don't, we willfully submit to the word of God and the ways of God. And when we do, great things happen. We reap what we sow. Oh, amen. Thank you. So so when we get to the word of God now, um, it all starts in the garden. Everything started in the garden. And so the understanding of God's original intent and design is very, very important, right? So to understand what God had, that in the garden was a great place, you know, prior to the fall. It was a place of thriving. It was a place where things were as they should be. Um, that, that and I've said this probably a bazillion times from this pulpit, but that God had relationship with man, that man had relationship with creation, that there was meaningful work, and that things were good. Um, there came a point where God said that it isn't good that man should be alone. So he wasn't alone in the sense that he had relationship with God, but he didn't have relationship with another that was just like him, or should I say like compatible to him. And so God created woman. And as he created woman, what was described of her and how he created her, you can find in in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, it says that God's, I'll read it so I don't get messed up. Um, God, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make for him a helper who is fit for him. And, and the word is important as we identify two words, okay? A helper fit for him. Or uh, some of your translations might call woman a suitable helper, right? And we're going to look at this word not with the lenses of Western um, Orange County 2022, but we want to look at this word through the lenses of Hebrew in the moment in time uh, or the understanding of the original readers of the Bible because those are two different things. The word helper and the word that identifies helper is different than what we would think of in today's world as was there. And I'm going to get to that um, actually right now. So... So there's a, there's a Hebrew word, um, and I think it's a fascinating word. I, I learned it um, as, a, uh, as a young man. Uh, but it really did shape the way that I saw marriage and the way that I saw women. And this word um, in Hebrew, I'll pronounce it wrong, but I'll say it anyways. It's Ezer Keneged. And, um, and I've, I've been talking about this in premarital. I talked about it with, with you guys and talked about it with you guys, which Ryan and Sarah, congratulations, husband and wife right here. In church on Sunday, beautiful. 
Um, and we, we talk about this, and so it's fresh in my mind. But, but this is a very interesting word. Because for us, in, in maybe in 2022, and we, when, I, when you might think of a helper, you might think of, of someone that will do a task for you that you don't want to do, but you have enough money to pay them to do it. That might be one way to look at a helper. Does that make sense? So in other words, if you need help cleaning something or you need help fixing something, you hire a helper. And usually that, that understanding is... Um, you know, you want to get the best for your money, and so you kind of want to hire a helper you don't have to pay a bunch of money for and so forth. And it might, it's not necessarily a negative view, but it's, it's um, hierarchical. Like a lot of times you would hire a helper who, you know, you just don't either want to do it or don't have time to do it, so you hire a helper. That, that is not that word in Scripture. Um, there, the two words that, that we look at, first, the first word um, is the, the word of, regarding suitable or a helper fit. And, and that word is so interesting because it is literally like the opposite of the other. Okay, so somebody who is suitable. So if a, if a man is made this way, the woman is made this way, the, the suitable part is that they fit perfectly together, that their opposites are perfectly compatible. Okay, this is a different narrative than is being taught to your children today. Right? This is a totally different narrative. And so the difference between the two makes them different but, but compatible. It's the term co-equal, right? So we know that God made man in his image and woman in his image, that there was complete equality. But there was difference in role and there was difference in, in being in terms of how they're made. And that's where scripture says, um, after a woman is created in name, it says that, and, and then it says that she... Um, it speaks clearly and beautifully. It says, Adam says poetically, Wow, at last, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, she shall be called woman. And then for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife. And the two become one flesh. And what God has brought together, let nobody separate. Let no one separate. So that, that the differences between men and women allow for the compatibility, allow for the oneness of flesh. So are you still following with me? I, I, I just want to say these things and build this platform form um, to be able to say some other things, and I don't want to talk like I'm giving you some kind of lecture. I don't mean to do that if it sounds that way. The, the word, um, th- this word connected um, means uh, something um, of the opposite. The word Ezra is the word that I think is fascinating, okay? And women, um, th- listen now, because this is you. This is how God made you. The word Ezer is a unique word. It's only given one time to describe a human, which is a woman, that she's Ezer Kenegid, she's suitable for the man. It's mentioned 66 other times in the Bible, this word Ezer. Do you know the only other mention of the 66 other times who it's speaking of? God, okay? I'm not saying you are God, okay? I'm saying you're doing a really good job. I'm saying that the way that God made you and who you are according to Scripture and how you are described in Scripture is so honorable. It is so esteemed. And to think that, uh, that Christianity or to think that the Bible could be, could be spoken of as something that diminishes women is really false. It's the opposite within the big story of the Bible. Women are highly esteemed. Women are the ones that are, are, the, are, are given the privilege of bringing life. Do you remember what Jesus said? I've come to give you what? Life. And life to the fullest. Do you know what Eve's name means? Eve na- Eve's name means the source of all life. The living one. Right? 
Now, I think this is uh, obvious about childbirth. We know that um, women are the only ones that can have babies. But we also know that when a woman is in the room, this is my opinion, there is more life than if it were just a bunch of dudes. There is more color, there is more detail, there is more consideration. Um, I I will share with you a personal story. Uh, A a few weeks ago, I got into a little surfing accident. I I hit the rail of my surfboard, square on in my eye, popped my eye open, and it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't even that cool what I did. I wish there was a better story for it, but but it was just a freak accident. And um, I was with my son. He was great. He took care of me, took a picture, which was really important, made sure I didn't get it too cleaned up for the picture. And, and then we, we went to the hospital. And I went to the hospital, and uh, I sat in there, and they you know, did all the stuff that they're going to do. And, and then um, the doctor comes in, and she looks at my eye, and she says, Hey, um, you got a really jagged cut, um, but I'm going to take some extra time with you and make it pretty because you're a beautiful man. I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. She didn't say that. She, she, she said, I, I don't want you to have an ugly scar. And I said, thank you very much. And you know, before she walked in the room and I looked and I saw that it was a female doctor, I said, thank you, God, that you sent her to me. And I'm, I'm being very honest because my thought is there are a lot of great guy doctors. <laughs> But she had such an attention to detail, and she took time that she didn't otherwise have to take because she cared in that moment. And again, this isn't a slam to guy doctors, but this is the truth. God made her in that way. She's created in that way. She's a life bringer, right? That is what women are. That is how they're to be esteemed and how they're to be honored. But we get back to this word because it's very important, because it isn't this subservient helper. It is someone uniquely designed to be a part of the partnership. And the, the model that we have of the way that men and women function is, is the model of the Trinity, right? You have, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that are co-equals that have distinct roles. And there's choice and submission within that relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The way that it works is that Jesus is, is willfully submitted to the Father to come to this earth and be the Savior of the world. That's amazing, right? But he's equal with God. That the Holy Spirit is submitted to Jesus and to the Father. To give honor to Jesus. To to be our helper. To point out the things that Jesus taught. And you get this beautiful picture of a a dance. It's not a subservience to the other. But it's a a willful submission towards one another. Where each is glorifying the other. And and that is the result of, of our worship. Where we just go, God, you're so amazing. And we sing songs to him. That is the God that we're worshiping. That is also the picture of how he intended man and woman to function together. And so um, when we look at the word Ezer, we look at the word helper. And the word helper is so very, very important. Um, Look at this Psalm, um, Psalm 46 with me. Another word that describes helper um, is rescuer. And how many of you have been in those situations where you have just needed God to rescue you? You're like, God, I don't need help. I need straight up rescue. I love this Psalm 46 because it says, God is our refuge and our strength. He is our very present help when in time of trouble. And, and that is the word, that ever-present help is the word Ezer. Women, God has made you in such a way not just to help to be helpers, to be servants, but has made you in such a way to see things that others can't see 
and help with unique gifting and ability. One of the examples that I like to give is that um, if, there was, if, if I was drowning and I saw, and I'm looking at Huntington Beach Pier and I'm looking up on the pier and I, I see a, a tourist with a, you know, maybe like a camera around his neck and, and, um, and he's leaning over watching me drown and he's saying, can I help you? Is there anything I can do? I got my phone right here. Is there anything I can do? And then I see a, another person that's next to him, and that person has like red shorts on, you know, and a buoy in their hand. They're both equals, and one is not better than the other. But for me, the one with the buoy in their hand is much better. Much better, because they are my rescuer in that moment. I'm like, you, please help, right? And I think that that's the way that we see, and that's how we can honor and esteem one another. On Father's Day, we'll talk a lot of good things about men, but again, this is Mother's Day, we're talking about women. Men, this is the way that we can see women. We can see that there is co-equal with us, but we can see there's something so special and unique that it's not to be just benefited from. Like, man, I need her around because I need this, 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 and this. Or in a workplace, man, we need women in here because they can do this, this, and this. It's not just that we're benefiting from it, but that we're esteeming it, that we're honoring it, that we're vocalizing it, that we're, we're able to show the appreciation the way that is intended um, through Scripture, and that we would be a culture of honor, not dishonor. You see, the enemy's tactic is super clear. It's like we're studying spiritual warfare with the men, and you can see it's his tactic over and over again is to bring deception and confusion. And if the enemy can confuse us about who we are, then we'll want what the other has. And this is in scripture as well. Can I show you? Okay. Um, uh, let's look at, at why everything went wrong. Okay. Because the, the garden started with good. If, if things could stay there, that would be beautiful. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. We know that there was the fall of, of man. There was the, the falling into temptation. The eating of the forbidden fruit. We know that there was consequences that came as a result. Does everybody know that? That there was enmity that, that the serpent had with the woman, that there was, um, there was consequences for men, there were consequences for women. And I want to just read this so that we build a little tension in the room and we can come to resolution. In Genesis chapter 3 and 16 it says, To the woman, again this is the, the result or the impact of the fall. To the women, I will surely multiply your, cha- your pain in childbearing. Can any of the women attest to that? I, I, I make it almost as a, a little bit of a joke, but, you know, it, it's, it's not so funny, but it's so fitting that there is no way that a guy could ever have a baby because they just could not pull it off. <laughs> just the fortitude of a woman to be able to endure that kind of pain is just real. Anyways, uh, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Um, and when you bring forth, and you shall bring forth children. And then this is the one I want to look at. And I think this is the tension that is so real in our society today. It says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Can I say that again? Just again to build tension? Okay. <laughs> your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Let me read it out of the NLT. It says, Your desire will be to control your husband, but he will rule over you. All joking aside, which we could have tons of jokes on this now, but in in the relationship between men and women, specific in the marriage relationship, this is where we go, oh, this is why things are tense sometimes. That there's, there's a result of a fall that we're going in different directions sometimes. And in going in those different directions and within these different roles, there are these misunderstandings that happen that it creates tension. 
And the good news of the Bible is that it's an ongoing narrative that you are not stuck in the curses of the fall. Do you hear that? That you're not stuck in the curses of the fall. That the, the ongoing narrative of the Bible is that Jesus came to break every curse. That was what the cross was about. And so as we continue to submit to him, as we do what the New Testament now talks about, wives and husbands, again, which can be uh, for some very misunderstood, wives submit to your husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. I can't tell you how, how many weddings that people have said, and this is outside of the church, that they've said, can we just not talk about that part? Can we not put that part in? The submission aspect is not subservience. How many of you know the difference between subservience and submission? Right? Subservience is like this. Whatever you say, I just do it, you know, because that's the godliest thing to do. That is not what the Bible calls um, submission. Submission is recognizing role. It's to recognizing what it says in the verses prior to that. Have you ever read it? Submit to who? One another out of fear for Christ. Isn't it? Have you ever heard that? Dudes don't like to quote that one when they're trying to tell women or wives what to do. But the, the reality is that we're called to submit to one another and out of, remember what, where we are, that we're re- reflecting the very image of God, which means the Trinity, right? That the way that everybody gets along, we're reflecting that. So we together submit to Christ and then we fulfill or we live out the roles that God's called us to. And the role of, of submission is less of a subservience and more of a dance. It's to say that God created within His order however He did and whyever He did. He created male and He created female. And one is to take the initiative and one is to take the lead. And, and I'm not much of a dancer, but um, I would imagine if I was good at dancing and, and, and my wife um, recognized I was good at dancing and she followed, we'd both be having a good time. Right? But if two can't dance... And, um, and both are trying to lead, you get kind of an awkward white guy dance. <laughs> Which I'm famous for. Hopefully I don't live out my marriage the same way as I live it out uh, my dancing on the dance floor. But, but this is important to talk about, that there's beauty in this, and it's meant to be honored, and it's meant to be talked about. It's not meant to blindly just go, oh wait, I was watching this show, is this how we're supposed to treat one another? But no, we're supposed to get back to what the, um, the design of God's word is, and the, the design that he has for us. So, so there is a tension at work, and the point is this, that I believe that in the beginning, um, the enemy's mission was to create a culture of dishonor towards men, and a dishonor towards women. So if Jesus came to give life and life to the fullest, if there was a, if woman was created to bring life, what better of a way than to destroy her, to destroy life, and to bring a culture of dishonor? What better of a way for him to fulfill his mission? And, and so for us as the people of God, we choose the opposite. Um, I want to end this message now, and, and I hope that some of this has made sense to you. And I hope, I, actually, I really do hope and pray that, that maybe if it's a little thicker to walk through, that it, it helped to build a healthy foundation and maybe even remove some of the lies that we can tend to believe about roles in marriage, about honoring men and honoring women. Um, but I want to just take the last bit of time that I have um, to call out some of the tremendous attributes that are within women that are listed in Scripture that follow the theme of Genesis to the one who gives life the one who was privileged to give life to the one who continues on to help fulfill the mission and plan of God. And, um, and so when I think of these rescuers, those, these Ezers, right? Ezer Keneged, these Ezers, these ones that are rescuers, they're like God in that regard. Um, I think of Rahab, right? Rahab, we can remember her for two reasons. One, and in Jesus' genealogy, she's called Rahab the prostitute. You can go, oh, well, that's crazy. Or you can go, 
what did God do in a redemptive way in her life where the enemy had meant to destroy her? Now she is a woman of courage who chooses to protect the people of God on the mission and make sure that they live and find rescue. That's an amazing rescue. You think of Esther, you know, one who had tremendous beauty. And in, and in that beauty, God used that as a gift. He literally, through one woman, saved an entire nation of genocide. Have you really understood that? That's tremendous. That was the purpose and plan of God. God was saying, who can I use to make sure that my people are sustained and my mission is fulfilled throughout the earth for time and eternity? Who can I use? Esther. Why? She's an Ezra Kenegan. She is a suitable helper. She's one who's built and constructed to, follow, to, to fulfill this mission. She'll get it done. It's beautiful. I think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we could talk about Mary all day long. I've heard... Um, I've heard Protestants say that Catholics venerate her too much and Catholics say that Protestants don't talk about her too much and both are right. You know that, that Mary is a tremendous woman and that God would see among this young girl an attribute that I'm going to get to in just a second that, that he would use her as the carrier of the Son of God. She's a woman that is deserving of honor. But my favorite, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, because it's kind of gruesome, is um, the, the story of, of Deborah. Do you know about Deborah the prophetess? Legend. And, and this is the, not legendary story, but she's amazing. <laughs> the story of Deborah the prophet is important because she illustrates um, a woman's courage. And, and I got to say, if, if anybody ever messes with a woman's child, you see that courage come up. It doesn't matter who's in your way. It, that, you know, God forbid that you're in the way of that because you're getting a tidal wave. And, and, and that's a God-given instinct, right? And so this courage that Deborah has, God um, places her in a position of prominence. She's the judge. And I'm going to just read this portion of Scripture. Um, I promise I'm coming to an end. I'm doing good on time, by the way, as well. And so here it says in, in Judges chapter 4, if you want to read either on the screen or with me in your Bibles. Deborah, a prophetess, the, the wife, I'm sorry, a prophetess, and she was the wife of um, Lapidoth. Everybody say Lapidoth. I don't know why I just had you say it, but you do stuff. Okay, so it was judging Israel at the time. And then she used to sit under the palm tree of, um, of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she, set, she sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinom. Um, you got the names. as You can read it as good as I can. Um, and he said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and, and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's ar army, to meet you at the river Kishon with the chariots and the troops. And I will give him into your hand. And this is the, the part that we understand. Sometimes the dynamic. And scripture is pointing it out to us. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you do not go with me, I will not go. Can we analyze that statement for a moment? This is a military leader who is like, okay, I can get 10,000 guys and I can face this leader, but it, Deborah, if you're not with me, we can't do this. I need you. I need your help. I think the Bible's pointing it out, not to bring shame to Barak, although there is some in there that we read in Scripture. But I think it's, it's to point out this tremendous attribute of courage, right? And, and I love what she says. Yeah, I'll go with you. I think she even went in the Hebrew, she went, Psh. 
<laughs> and she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will um, sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. And then Deborah went and arose and went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called um, out of Zebulun and went to those places, and 10,000 men went up at his hills, and Deborah went up with him. And as you know how the story unfolds, it's a particularly gruesome story that you ought to read. There's a young woman named Jael, and, and she takes care of Sisera, and I mean that in a euphemistic kind of way, in a savage way, she kills this leader. And she does it with courage, and it's Old Testament, and it's gritty, and I'm not suggesting that that would be the role of women to go and be killing people like she did. But in the context of war, in the context of honor, in the context of understanding the attributes, God saw it fit when these guys couldn't get it done to fulfill his mission through these women who had tremendous courage, who had tremendous finesse, and who were able to take care of something that 10,000 others couldn't. That's a big deal. And that's a part of the honor of, God, of women throughout Scripture. Women are strategic and wise. Um, as, as a... a I think of the story of Abigail, and, and if you've read this story, I'm just going to give it to you really quickly, that you know it, it turns into a contest between David and Nabal. David's disrespected by this guy Nabal. Nabal, his name means like he's stupid or something like that, literally. And, and he, instead of um, being reasonable, he's disrespectful towards David. And I think like, you know, you know those moments where we say like the thing is not the thing, where you're like, you're mad, but something happens and your reaction is like way up to here. You, know, you follow me? You ever been in a fight with your husband or wife? that's happened it's it's like the thing isn't the thing but it's the the totality of the moment um scholars say that Nabal was a lot like Saul and so I think David was too through it's like you disrespect me you're going down he was about to kill everything that Nabal had ever looked at you know and he was very upset that's what the story I'm paraphrasing but Abigail is Nabal's wife and what Abigail's able to do is she's able to have a conversation with her husband and she's able to have a conversation with David and the conversation with David was the really important one, where she pointed out truths, and she was able to, in some ways, we could read it as almost like stroking his ego, but calling him to a higher calling. Hey, man, you're, you're not like, you're better than this, right? It's that conversation. You're better than this. She was also extremely wise in that she cooked an, a huge feast for all these hungry dudes. Like, everybody got to eat. So when this army came to destroy her family and everything that, that they ever looked at, they were greeted with hospitality. And then she, in turn, brought kind words and words of truth and words that instilled um, a reality back to David so that he didn't did do something super stupid. How many of you can say that there have been women in your lives, especially men, your wives, who have helped you from doing something really, really stupid? Hey, this is, again, not patronizing towards women by saying these compliments. This is who you are, women, in your core. God made you this way, and the Bible honors you for these kinds of things because Abigail wasn't the only one. We'll just be here all day if I kept going. There's selflessness and nurture that is embedded and, 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 and innate to women. It doesn't mean that men can't be selfless and nurturing, but women are better. And, and you, you get this, um, again, throughout the narrative of the Bible, from Jochebed, who's Moses' mother, to, um, to Hannah, who's Samuel's mother, and then on into Mary, mother of Jesus. All throughout the Bible, you get these women who are able to see God has given them a special gift, even out of their, their hardship and in, in, in the mourning of things, that, that here, uh, Jochebed could give Moses up to a river, trusting God and realizing that she was part of birthing the mission of God to save his people. This is huge stuff. I hope I'm doing a good job explaining it. 
Hannah. Hannah is there in the Bible mourning and weeping before God because the injustices that have happened to her. And then she's graced by God and given a baby. And then she realized this baby Samuel is, something for, is for something bigger than just fulfilling my need. I release him into the mission of God. And she releases a righteous priest into a household of, of, of Eli with two knucklehead sons that didn't even know God but were fulfilling this role of priest. And here now Samuel comes and fulfills this. And she doesn't just go, here's my kid. She, she, she releases this child to the will of God and then continues to nurture and care for him, weaving him a beautiful garment to give to him yearly as she offers sacrifices. I heard somebody talking about that, that, that weaving. Sarah, you would know the time that you spend weaving is intricate design. It's detailed. And what are you doing as you're building or making something for someone? You are thinking and praying and loving on that child and then offering that gift. Women, you're amazing. And to think that Hannah could do that for something greater. The final thing is faith and optimism. Faith and optimism. I'm not saying every woman in the world, and, and certainly the Bible has stories about Jezebel and all kinds of crazy that can happen if you choose to live within the flesh. But I'm saying the women of God, the faith and optimism that is there is marked. It stands out in Scripture. That, um, that you, you have Mary who makes this very key statement, right? When, when all seems to be totally impossible, an angel of the Lord comes to a virgin teenager and says, I mean, this is the picture, you are going to give birth to the Son of God. And she says, how is this going to happen? And then it's explained. And what is the statement that she makes that is so important for us all to hear? With God, what? Nothing is impossible. We need people around us who believe like that to remind us of who our God is. And women, you are wired for that. You're wired for that faith and optimism. I, I want to read something if I can. Um, I want to read it out of my journal because I had a moment when I was praying for us and, and praying um, for this service where I really believe that God spoke to me. And I, I, I wrote it down because I, I thought, and I want to be faithful to what he said. And, and, and I, I think that this is a word from the Lord for all of us, but I think it may be specific to, to women in a way that the Holy Spirit wants to honor you. And so I'm going to read it, and, and here's what it says. Fear is to have no place in your life, no fear of the future, overcompensating or sheltering when living can be taking place. It's go time, not stop time. It's forge forward, not retreat. Wisdom is to replace fear. Optimism is to replace apprehension. What if is to have a hopeful tone, not a fearful one. You are to be more obsessed with the power and the purpose of God than the evil that is at work in the world. God's redemptive story is one of a garden where you are free to explore and tend. There are things to discover. The tide pool looks empty when you look at it. It looks devoid of life until you turn over a loose rock and all of a sudden it teems with life. Literally, under every loose rock you find life. Don't fear turning rocks over. The rain comes and the skies darken. But don't forget 
that most of the days are sunny. And, and I, I hope that that maybe ministers to you, and I hope that that, that, that speaks something to you, because I, I, I read that out of obedience, but I also read that as I want to honor you and speak that into your life, that, that, that God has something, and that something is shifting, and something is changing, and women, we need you. We need you to be the women of God that God's called you to be, because I think there's been a season, not just the last two years, but certainly, that has overwhelmed us within that season, that has tried to diminish or to push down the God-given role and rights and authority that you have. And so to honor you and to esteem you is to call out who God's made you and to recognize it. And I want to recognize those things and I want to call you into more. I want to call you into the courage of Deborah. The courage of Deborah to, to, to be able to stand up. To stand up in moments where a culture wants you to shut up. But in moments where you could stand up and to be able to speak God's truth in ways that only God can speak through you. I believe that God wants to call you to to levels of wisdom that that are there innate in you, God-given gifts that God's given you, and He wants those gifts to come out just like they came out for Abigail. They're given to you not in some kind of um, uh, a way for you to just go cook food for people all the time. That wasn't Abigail's story. Her story was that she knew what needed to be done and she knew, knew what needed to be said. And she was willing to do and say those two things. And I believe that God's calling you to that. I want to honor that in you and esteem that in you and call that out of you. I want to call out selflessness and nurture in a time where society is saying to do the opposite. Where society is saying to reject or step away or whatever else. But the God-given role that's built into each one of you to nurture, to love, and, and to be selfless with the help of the Holy Spirit. My last verse to read over you, and this is a blessing that I want to read over to you. And I think that Proverbs 31 can be like, oh no, don't read that. I could never be that woman. The goal of Proverbs 31 is not to try to make you into superwoman. The goal is to call out how much God sees in you. The goal is for, for you to see this is, this is what a godly woman is. This is who I've made you to be. And so these things are not like, okay, great, now I've got to read more, pray more, do more. Oh, no. It's not that. It's esteeming who you are, what's already in there. It says, strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the way of the, her household. and She doesn't eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. He praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. That's honor. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works be praised in the gates. Can I ask you to stand with me? And I want to ask you, if you're next to a woman, whether it's your wife, daughter, friend, to just gently place your hand upon her shoulder in a very respectful way. The placing of the hand is not to be done lightly, but it's the impartation of the Holy Spirit that's alive in you. God, may the hand that is upon the shoulders of each woman in this place be a reminder of the respect that is due to who they are. 
May you forgive us, God, for objectifying women, for joking and sarcasm and things that are, are a result of maybe our own insecurities. May you establish in this church a culture of honor. One, Lord, where we see that you saw fit in the very beginning of time to create woman in your image equal to men, but special in gifting to be an Ezer Keneged, to be one who is a suitable helper, to be a rescuer, kind of like you are, God. I pray, Jesus, that as the hand is on the shoulder of each woman in this place, that she would be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, that healing would come to every aspect of her life, that fear would be removed, that anxiety would flee, that courage would rise up like never before, that faith and optimism would be so strong in a world that is just wanting to be upset and depressed all the time. Lord, that your power would be so much greater in our vision and her vision than the power of the enemy. Lord, that these moments would be the greatest moments for her and for her household. For the ones that long for children, God, would you open their womb and bless them. For the ones that are beyond the age of of raising children and feel alone, may you use them as mothers in this place, God, and in their communities as those that are leaders who can bring life and hope just as Eve was the source of all life. Would you use every woman in this place to be a bringer of truth, to be one who fulfills your mission, to give life and life to the fullest? whether that comes in the form of a baby from their womb or speaking spiritual hope into just a depraved and dark world. God, use these women. May this be a place of honor. May they be honored. May they be esteemed. May their cups overflow. And Lord, on this Mother's Day, God, may they remember just how special you created them to be and how the pages of Scripture reflect that so well. Bless them, I pray, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. God bless you. What a beautiful name it is.
Sí.